I want to welcome everyone to our first ever huddle, huddle for caregivers. Um, you all are the anchor, and yeah, I feel like the clapping, clapping. You guys are the anchor and the source of strength for your loved one with type one, and you know that. Um, but what I think is unfair is that you're often overlooked when it comes to who needs support. Of course, people with type one need support, but the, the right under that are people who love people with type one, and so. Um, it does seem like you're always kind of pushed to the side, um, and this is our opportunity to really give you the space to talk and um, tell us about things that um, are going well, things that you're frustrated with, and just anything that's on your mind. So we're really fortunate to have Lauren Moore um, to here today, today, and I'll introduce her later, um, but she's one of the guest experts tonight in addition to myself, um, and Lauren and I will be facilitating the discussion tonight. Um, before I introduce Lauren, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of what's going to happen today. I really want it to be more casual and relaxed, but you know, there, there is some structure so you don't feel like it's just chaotic. So first, um, I want to start off with introductions, and so I'll have you introduce yourself and answer some questions. That way, all of us get to know each other and feel a lot more comfortable. You know, I think it's easier to share when you feel like you know someone a little bit more. Um, then I'm going to, um, you all took the survey, um, answering what, uh, 20 questions about distress. And so I'm actually going to project the results of that survey. So you all can see of, you know, of the 20 of you, where did you fall? Like what distresses you the most? Is, is what you're distressed about um, what everyone else is distressed about? I always love doing this because then you see, oh my God, I'm totally normal. Um, and third, we're going to answer the questions that some of you have submitted ahead of time. Um, and we had asked that, uh, I guess, the past week, people have been um, submitting questions. And we're going to provide responses to those questions. Um, but then finally, we're going to open it up at the end to just um, free-for-all questions, you know, things that come up and pop up in your mind during the session. So you have a chance to, don't worry if you didn't submit a question, because you can ask it. And the session is an hour and a half, so we've got a lot of time. So I don't want anyone to get anxious. I do want to remind everyone that we are audio taping the event, um, just because there are some people who want to participate, but they couldn't. And so they get a chance to um, you know, basically see what happened and, and hear what other people are worried about. Um, but I don't want that to uh, inhibit you in terms of sharing, like if you want to say something about your spouse. You know, feel free, and then let, let me know. I, I totally don't want that to inhibit you. <laughs> um, and then we're going to ask you that if you're not talking, to be on mute, so that way the sound is a lot clearer, and we're not going to hear background noise. Um, so uh, there's only one golden rule that we have, and it's that one person talks at a time, um, and to be respectful of one another um, and not interrupt. So um, I'm going to introduce myself, and then Lauren is. So I am an associate professor in the Division of Endocrinology at UBC. I'm the only clinical psychologist in the division, um, and my area of research and my clinical work um, all focuses on diabetes prevention and management. And for the past 10 years, I moved to um, Vancouver, UBC, 10 years ago. I, I'm from the States, and don't use that against me. But um, 10 years ago, I came here, and um, the, so in terms of the people I work with, it's all type 1. So I've done research for 20 years on type 1, um, type one and type 2, but in terms of clinically, who I see, who I work with, um, it's all type 1. So this is what I love, and this is what interests me the most. Um, and I, I guess this is what I would say is um, 
my area of expertise, diabetes and distress and all other psychosocial issues. Lauren, do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, you're on mute. There we go. Sorry, I unmuted and then it did it again. So my name's Lauren Moore. I, uh, I live in Kimberley, BC. I had the pleasure of uh, talking to all the kind of the other parts of your, um, yeah, all the type ones uh, in June uh, on just the emotional aspects of type one. Uh, I feel like that's part of, I've had type one for 32 years. And I feel that because because of that, I kind of my 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 education and kind of experience the, the past couple of years in uh, counseling um, has led me to kind of wanting to blend this supporting type ones and tonight um, the people that are supporting type ones and uh, and kind of combining that with my my counseling work. So I'm currently I currently work for the Ministry of Child and Family. Uh, but this and this kind of work with Trisha is just really I'm I'm excited about um, where this is going to go and kind of sharing uh, my thoughts on a lot of the questions uh, you asked tonight. So, okay, great. So introductions. Um, when I call on you and I can see your name just because it's on your screen, um, I'm going to ask you to just tell us your name and who your loved one is, who the person who has type one. Then I'm going to ask you to answer um, or give me a response to two questions. And I'll give you some time to just think. Um, the first question is, what is a positive quality or characteristic of yours, of yours that helped you cope when um, diabetes gets in the way of your life, of your relationship, whatever? That, um, what is something that, yeah, something, a trait of yours that really helps things um, help you cook better. All right, so number two is what worries you or frustrates you the most about having a loved one with type one? So I'm gonna give you a 30 seconds to just think about those answers um, and write them down on a piece of paper before I call you because I want people to feel like they can think. Okay, actually, you know what? Um, why don't you raise your hand if you're ready and you would like to start rather than me call on you, okay? Um, I just saw you. Janice Johnson, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself and talk about your loved one and the responses to the questions? Sure. Um, I don't really have answers to the questions very much. My name is Janice and my husband is Bruce and he's had it for over 54 years. Um, but my, I don't know, I don't really have a coping mechanism, like what would be my trait to help him. Um, it can all be I, you, to help you, to help him. Oh, well, the thing is, is I was just diagnosed with type two. So mm -hmm. I'm dealing with my own issues right now. I, I understand what he has, 
and I've been married to him. Well, I've been with him in total 11 years. So I know the, the, what happens, the symptoms of what's going to happen. But lately it's been frustrating because, you know, he's had it for 54 years. You think he'd know how to deal with it by now. And, but I understand that because he's aging, that it's getting worse and, or, you know, and so he's, and he's still trying to figure out that thing that he wears on, (laughs) what's it called? The pump. Yes. So, you know, I guess that all feels into, that would be my frustrating thing is how do you deal with that every day or, you know, when the lows come, like he gets a ton of lows and I don't understand why, you know, apart from he's, he doesn't eat great. All he eats is candy, you know, when the lows come. So, you know, he's not using the proper tool to me as glucose tablets. And he doesn't use that. He just eats the candy. So anyway, that's Mm -hmm. me. (laughs) Great. So I know you said you didn't have a positive, you couldn't think of a positive quality. um, But as you're talking, what I thought is empathy. Like you have. Oh, yeah. So you totally understand what it's like, the symptoms and that some of the symptoms are the same. They do overlap. So you know what it's like to be frustrated about it. Yeah. Um, And it sounds again, like your uh, frustration is that even though he's had it for what, half a century? Yeah. <laughs> There's still these new situations that he's not being able to cope with. And for you to see that is really, really hard to watch. Yeah. You feel like he should be an expert by now. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say something else on the tip of my head here. Um, I forgot now. <laughs> okay. You can, you can yeah, I'll, I'll come back. Um, uh, next person, you want to raise your hand? Okay. Michelle, I know your husband and I know you. <laughs> Go ahead. There we go. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm, um, I'm Michelle. Um, my husband, uh, Dave, was diagnosed, um, I'm going to say 25 years ago, because I was eight months pregnant with our first child. Uh, he was diagnosed quite late as a type one uh, at 31, as opposed to more um, in his teen, teenage or childhood. Uh, I guess one of my positive qualities is that I do have a bit of a science background, so I kind of understand a little bit what's going on scientifically. And I have to say, the second question was the most frustrating? Yeah. I think the most frustrating part was when it first happened to us is that the endocrinologist, when I went to his first appointment, said to me, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. This This is his disease. This is his to manage. And so I wasn't welcome to any more appointments. I hope that's changed now with the endocrinologists out there. I don't know. And I'm very happy, Trisha, because I've been asking for the support group for 20 plus years. <laughs> so my here is because of you. So thank you for pushing and, and, and like really uh, motivating us to do this. Um, you know, so it's, for your frustration, um, it sounds like at the very get-go, you're shut out. You mean like at the very first appointment, be shut out. That's, that's very, very telling. It's like a, you know, slamming the door in your face. So I can understand why that's really um, bothersome. It's a little bit offensive. Um, and, and, you know, having a science background that is, um, it is important in, in a way, you know what I mean? Like you can think of it intellectually and sometimes, I don't know why, but sometimes when you think of it intellectually, it helps a bit, even though a it lot helps of it, to, it helps to objectify, objectify it and not make it so subjective mm-hmm. and taking it personally. Cause sometimes right when he's low, and I think you may have read that on my survey, uh-huh. 
being an asshole or is he low? That's <laughs> always my first question. I'm sure you all relate. And, and, the, and the fact that I was shut out from day one by his primary um, endo, it kind of set the tone for how he managed his disease. You know, it was always on him. It was never kind of us. Uh, yeah. So not realizing that what happens to him does affect us. Um, but, you know, 25 plus years later, we're still together. <laughs> well, see, that's very telling. It's funny how you said, you know, is, is it the blood sugar or is it I'm being an asshole? But I've talked to a lot of people type one who actually they're, they're um, insightful enough. And they actually say when, when I get angry, I have to figure, is it the blood sugar or is it actually, you know, like, there, is it this other layer? Like, am I being an asshole because I'm just being an asshole? <laughs> so, I mean, I think that there are a lot of and partners who also try to step back a little and think before they react. Um, okay, uh, next. Uh, Cecilia Hall. Hi, I'm Cecilia and I'm in Whistler and my partner's Dave as well. <laughs> um, and he got his type one when he was about 35. So about the same as you, Michelle. Um, I didn't know him then. He's my second husband and we've been together for about 11 years. So that's like Janice. Um, and we're both Australian, but I live here and I've got two sons here, but sort of being a parent and seeing kids grow up and them get blo low blood sugar make me at least understand the little hissy fits that they have. Um, so that, so that at least because I've been a parent, I, you know, and I had two boys who were busy okay. I could see when they were going down the slippery slope. So I can sometimes get, see the warning signs. Um, what I did before I decided to go into this relationship um, with this partner was I actually was in Vancouver living at that stage. My kids, we were living there and going to school. I picked up the Georgia Strait and I saw the type one diabetic support group at BGH through oh. Anne Sabinot. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go because I don't know much about type one diabetes. I've heard about it, but I don't know what it's like. And I want to meet some other people to see what it would be like to go into this full on relationship. And so that was really eye opening for me. And I went in there and they're all just type ones and me and occasionally a partner with them. But really I was the type three. That's what I call myself. <laughs> the, ones, the twos and the support people were the threes. <laughs> so, um, a trait that helps me cope, I would say, would be I either ignore it. So that's one of my coping mechanisms. So all what's going on. Um, just a little bit of background information. My husband is a computer software engineer, electrical engineer. He's very he's a, he's a research engineer. He's retired, but so he is very knowledgeable, and so. From that point of view, he was very, and because he had already had it before I met him, he was very much doing everything, but he was a needle poker and a pin pricker. And so I've seen the changes with technology and how much a difference it's made just on a social level, because people don't stop and look when you're jabbing yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and it looks like a, you know, you pull something out, looks like it used to be a pager and blah, blah, blah. So he's a pumper and he's a, got a, a little device and he's got, um, a glimp, uh, an Italian program that shows the the ups and downs. That's been the biggest new change because he can now know what's happening when he sleeps. So he can see that graph and he can see because he'd sometimes go low in the night. 
So he likes to see the data um, because then he can know whether, which way he's going up and down mostly. Um, I also use humor because <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh -huh. I laugh and just go, yep, yep, yeah. It's my three-year-old today, okay. Um, <laughs> and then sometimes when it just is all really falling apart and he's going down the rabbit hole, you know, with, you know, that sort of depressions because you got, don't get a break, I encourage him if we haven't been going to the support group to go back to the support group and we'll drive to Vancouver. And and then I've now tried to pull myself back and I don't go. And now he's got, he'll go himself. And it's been great with COVID because he's been out of go and he doesn't have to go to Vancouver. And people who've moved to the island that we used to know are on the island. So that's been really great. And then the second part is what frustrates me most, um, well, we talked about it, the mood swings, my snapping turtle, Colin. And we, we live in an outdoor environment and we're active and he's a skier and everything like that. And the part that annoys me the most would be, we're just getting ready to go and he's had his three week fix and everything he's meant to do. And then he's low. Or we're on a ride and we're about to go and everyone's there and he's got to eat 10 jelly beans. <laughs> You know, so, and I mean, it's just, and some days he'll do everything right and everything's right. And then he's about to go on the ride and he'll scan and, you know, so I just, I, I know you can't do anything, but I find that really frustrating. Right. So even though he's planned out everything, he's been good about making sure he's got this, this and that um, on maybe the ski lift, he goes low. So again, that's like completely unpredictable, even though everything has been going exactly on plan. So. Yeah. So anyway, so that's, that's us and yeah. Okay, but I'm, I'm really happy and it's through Anne that I got your email. Okay. Yeah. From the Thanks, yeah. Um, next. Okay. Be up there, Heather. Hi, I'm Heather. My husband is Jacob Clark. Uh, he was just diagnosed this past December with type 1, so it's still a lot newer to us than to a lot of you guys. Um, we also have two little kids, so it's, yeah, a chaotic kind of life right now for everybody, but mm -hmm. I feel like we've, we've done a lot of learning and are in a pretty good place with it. Um, with, I would say, my quality is that I like to be really organized and informed. So I've, from the beginning of everything, tried to, like, unlike you, Michelle, where you were kind of shut out, I've, I've kind of been there for all of that stuff. And luckily we did have some doctors and, and supportive people who were all on board with the two of us doing this together and being really informed. And so I've done tons of reading and all of that so that the two of us can really have those conversations. And when he's having a hard time or not sure what to try next that we can kind of try to navigate that together. So that feels good that we can kind of try to do that as a team. Um, my frustration, I guess the two that popped into my head, one was we obviously, my husband and I have quite different personalities. And so when he was figuring out how to manage everything in the beginning, I would have made different choices than he made. So it was, could be frustrating and hard to watch him do things differently than I would have done in the same situation. Um, so Heather, can you give me an example of something where you would have made a different decision than him? Uh, 
Well, like at the very beginning when we were just like back home from the hospital and figuring everything out, uh, like it's Christmas time, right? I, I would have said no to alcohol for a couple of months because I know that can really, you know, mess with your levels. And, but, you know, it's like New Year's Eve or it's whatever else. And he wanted to, you know, be responsible in the way that he felt was responsible while still partaking. I would have been more conservative with kind of slowly introducing things to see how variables affected me um, with, yeah, diet and alcohol and exercise and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's my more very organized way of trying to figure figure out how to manage everything. And he is more the attitude of, I want to live my life and do it the way kind of I'm used to doing it in, in a like healthy, balanced way, but uh, wasn't as interested in kind of cutting things out and bringing them back and, and kind of trying to figure it out that way. So you're um, cautious and methodical. Yeah. I'm just gonna jump in and see what happens. Yeah. So yeah, so at the beginning, that was, that was frustrating to kind of watch him do it so differently than how I would have approached it, but it's worked for him and he's in a, a really good place with it now. And I, but I think that's been hard, like how to, how to support him when, when we have kind of different viewpoints on some of that stuff, um, like how much to, yeah, how to support his different kind of choices with some of that. Um, another frustration is just. Uh, like I used to be one of these people, I didn't know anything about diabetes until he was diagnosed with it. Um, and so when people are asking, oh, like, what's the, what's that thing on your arm, like his glucose monitor? And he says, oh, I have type 1 diabetes. People, people don't know what that means. And people assume it's type 2 or, or whatever else. And, and uh, so it's, I guess, the lack of just public kind of knowledge can be frustrating sometimes, having to kind of inform everybody all of the time about what it actually means and, and how it impacts him and, and why his body is doing this. Um, yeah. Yeah, so being a teacher 24 seven, like all yeah. the time and, that, and people say ignorant things too, that would piss you off. So yeah, that yeah. Happen. type two, type one thing, that probably is the thing that bugs people the most. Yeah. And we, talked, we talked about that in an earlier one where you're gonna develop your like, elevator pitch when you have like a 10 seconds to describe it and then when you have a bit longer you'll get your speech out <laughs> yeah um can i just ask one more question what is it like to have uh, two young kids and and be recently diagnosed I just yeah that was that was interesting um i guess we're just really trying to normalize diabetes in our household like our kids love to pretend to check their blood sugars and they love mm -hmm. to pretend they have little sugar pills and and like they they think it's normal they know it's just a way for him to stay healthy um and that it's just something he has to do so we try to like he doesn't he does everything in front of them and wants it to be really normal and like when they're so little it, it does just seem normal to them yeah. i think him being in the hospital is a little scary for our older one our younger one was more oblivious um yeah because he, yeah, he had DKA and um, like it was, yeah, quite a scary time. And we, we did visit him towards the end of his hospital stay with the kids. And uh, my oldest one was a bit freaked out about that. Um, but yeah, we just try to be super honest and upfront and, and kind of informative for them so that they know what's going on and, and know that that just keeps them healthy. And that's all it is. It's nothing to be kind of scared of beyond that. And yeah. So that's one thing you both agree on then. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, next 
Yeah, just raise your hand if you're, okay, uh, Paul, you are the spouse of Melanie. <laughs> yep, okay, I'm unmuted now. Yes, I'm Melanie's husband. Um, we live in Vancouver. I'm a retired teacher, retired last summer elementary, and uh, my wife was diagnosed um, last August, and she had a severe DKA. So it's um, she was just 60. So it's um, that's been. I'm going to start with that. That's the, one of the frustrating things, is uh, that uh, um, you know she's been described as an anomaly. You know, because it's very unusual. Right. And the, the weird thing was that we had a friend in England who was diagnosed just three year, three weeks earlier with exactly the same thing. So in some respects, they've been able to sort of compare notes. Um, we've had excellent support in Vancouver um, and uh, she's very knowledgeable. So she's taught me a lot and I'm, I'm still learning. Uh, I guess uh, the way that I help her is that I'm pretty laid back, um, pretty positive and pretty easygoing. Um, which helps with her sort of stress and negativity and and uh, depression. <laughs> so we sort of got opposites. So we kind of meet in the middle. Okay. And and what um, did you say? What, what's frustrating? What's the most frustrating thing? Well, yeah. I mean, the, she is an anomaly, and her levels have been. I mean, she's just got a pump in the last uh, within the last month, and again, you know, her levels have been all over the place. I mean consistently almost since day one since last year and uh, it's very hard uh, because there's been a lot of uh, fluctuation you know she can have exactly the same meal and have different results you know and it, it, it's uh, so th that's sort of frustrating and also the fact that it's just all dominating you know unfortunately um, it all comes back to that and um, that tends to take over most things but anyway, um, oh, one thing I just need to mention, I have to leave slightly earlier because I'm running a Zoom meeting straight after this. Okay, so no, actually I do, um, Melanie had come to our first huddle, uh, one of our first huddles, and I remember she said that, you know, you all, you both just retired, you were going to travel the world, and then bam, she was diagnosed. And that kind of threw a wrench into everything, which I mean, I can't even imagine what that, that's like, because living 60 years in one way, and all of a sudden... Um, having to really kind of switch gears is is tough. Um, next sure, it's quite an adjustment, but I mean, what a what a blessing to retire then. You know, uh, thank goodness I wasn't still working. Hmm. Right. Um, raise your hand if you want to speak next. Chris. Oh, um, yes, Chris. You know. Uh, I think your um your Wi-Fi might be coming in in and out. Mine? Uh, yeah, we're having a the lot full of support, and we've been. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Um. Uh, my name's Chris. Um. My daughter, uh, Sia, uh, has uh as of this coming. World Diabetes Day is going to be her second year. Uh, she's seven now, so she was five when she was diagnosed. And I live in Kimberly, too. <laughs> I actually love no Lauren from, um, used to have the same daycare, so so we, we've known each other for a little while. 
so I'm ex I was so excited to see you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of the things, like I'll start with my issues and uh, probably ones that I've heard a lot of. Uh, dealing with highs and lows and the behaviors that go with it. Um, so the mood swings was one of the ones. Those are the things that I constantly struggle with. Um, also being on pretty much the exact opposite side of BC from Vancouver, our support system's a little bit smaller. So having friends, when, when my daughter was diagnosed, Lauren said, oh, I've been living with it for so many years. And I was like, oh, yay, somebody I know. And then a few other people came out of the woodwork since then. Um, I also get in touch with a lot of Facebook groups, so I'm finding that's a good thing. And the other thing that we struggle with is affording it all, because um, we're on the Dexcom and the Omnipod. But we do really enjoy it, and I think it's very beneficial, something that's totally worth it. Um, for a pro on how I'm dealing with everything, um, I'm going to have to say is I'm able to critically think about the information I'm getting from her Dexcom and how to apply different changes to a very young and growing body and sometimes active. <laughs> so being able to think critically and make changes as, as you can is something that I'm with, but I'm kind of, I kind of do it all off. My husband's usually kind of a hands-off kind of thing while I've been on uh, short-term disabilities. So, but he's going to have to step up soon. So. Okay, so your strength is really kind of considering all the variables and the inputs and being able to figure out how you need to adjust the equation to, you know, have an ideal outcome. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a strength. Um, okay, um, you know what, I'm just going to call on people because, you know, there's only like a half left. So, uh, Choo Choo, would you like to share? Can, do you hear me? Yes, I can hear oh, you. Oh, okay. Good. I haven't done this before, so this is new for me. Um, the things that worry me, um, oh, my daughter is Nadia. She lives in Kimberley. This seems to be a hot spot. <laughs> um, she lives on her own, and that's a worry because uh, if she has lows at night, uh, how she deals with that, she's had them before, and luckily somebody's been around to be able to help. Um, yeah, so that's a big worry. Uh, positive thing is I don't, even though we don't live, we're an hour apart. Um, I try not to overmanage as a mother. I think that's a, a trait that I would really like to do, but I should not be doing. And so, uh, yeah, that's my positive trait. So that you're able to step back and not yeah. try to jump in and give advice and, you know, weigh in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I so your daughter um, told uh, shared her story of being diagnosed and how she was diagnosed and she had lost a lot of weight, but she still went water skiing. Like she was like, "This is not going to. This is not going to take me down. I'm going to do everything I possibly can." Which is yeah, that was hard to let her go out the door. That was very hard. But she was with a person who was a nurse, and she was aware of the situation. So I just, you know, you just have to let them go and do it. No, I think that's great. She's like, I know I was 80 pounds, but I'm still going to go water skiing. So she really had a great attitude about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's very eager. She, if people don't understand the difference between type one or type two, she's very much out there. She sees it uh, uh, as uh, 
her her job is to educate everybody about type two and type ones, and so they understand the differences. Whereas other people get frustrated with it, it gives her a chance to educate. <laughs> so her positive trait is she's patient. She has a lot of patience. Yeah. 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 Um, Jason Miller's love one. So I'm Jane. Hi, Jane. Hi. Um, so Jason was diagnosed when he was 10, and we've been together about 12 years. And I would say my positive. Oh, sh did I lose it? Oh, honey, my thing went dropped, I think. And resilient, because you kind of have to be when you're dealing with someone with um, frustrations. I could relate to every single person that spoke with the frustrations. Um, but I think for me, probably the biggest, most serious frustration would be when um, he's doing something that is unsafe and he's unaware of it, like driving. Um, and I find that quite stressful and difficult to manage. Um, just because I, I think that, I think there's actually, maybe someone could clarify, but I think you're not supposed to be behind a vehicle unless you're five or higher. Gary, do you want to confirm? Six, okay, yeah. So I would say there's lots of little frustrations, but that to me, someone when he's engaging in unsafe behavior and, and he's unaware of it, um, I, I find that quite stressful and difficult to, to navigate as a, just as a, yeah, as a person that knows him and lives with him and cares about him. So what happens if you make him aware of it? So he's unaware of it? because he didn't test or he thinks that everything's fine they you know he can you know he can survive because yeah. it only takes five minutes to drive to wherever you've got to go like is um, that it's mostly on road trips when we're not on well i would say road trips when we're driving and maybe he doesn't think to test but i notice that there's something a little bit funny going on so then i'll ask and it's that kind of situation where if you've got a low blood sugar, you can be a little bit grumpy and resistant about it. Mm -hmm. Then you're in a moving vehicle that's like a one-ton vehicle, like speeding down the road and trying to have this navigated conversation around trying to test it or pull over. So, yeah, and, and maybe the odd time coming home and I noticed that he's act, not acting like himself and I noticed that he's got a low and he says, no, no, I'm fine. And then he'll test it and it'll be like a 2.5 and he's been out driving. So mm -hmm. that's it's scary. Yeah, it is very scary. So I guess maybe I didn't answer it in terms of frustration, but I look at it more as, uh, yeah, it is frustrating when someone's doing something unsafe that yeah. you don't have any control over really. Yeah. yeah, no, I can imagine because you really, even if you tell him whatever state he's in, he may not be receptive to hear. Exactly, exactly. Because, yeah. So we're definitely going to talk more about that because those are a lot of the questions that were submitted. Great. Um, Annie? Hi, um, my name's Annie. Uh, Roy Krusek is my partner. Yep, I know Roy. Uh, you guys just moved to Victoria. Right. We did. Yeah. Yeah. We just moved. Um, so Roy, so we've been together for about just over two years. Uh, mm -hmm. and Roy was diagnosed in January. So recently. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we were, he was actually, we lived in Nicaragua for, we've been living in Nicaragua for the past almost a decade. So that was interesting to be diagnosed down there <laughs> with a very different medical system. Um, that was probably a very, whew, that was a very stressful time before he came up to Canada because in general, the, the guidance there is to just drink half a Coca-Cola and that's about it. <laughs> Um, so some things that I think help me or help us, Roy is very, he's kind of like Michelle, I believe, or Heather was saying, like wanted to know everything about it, about diabetes when he first found out. Uh, he didn't actually have a DKA or anything like that. He just started having some small, small issues that then he got tested and discovered. So we weren't even entirely sure what it was for a little while, but he was very much more into the science side and not quite as much into the practical side. And I'd say I'm a lot more practical with things like figuring out immediately what he can eat and what he should be doing, uh, which I think was very helpful. And I'm also a pretty positive person, so didn't let it really change anything about (laughs) how we were going to view the world. I would say, uh, which is helpful for him because obviously he was going through a lot uh, psychologically and everything. Um, Some of the worries or frustrations I would say that I face are, well, he's still in the honeymoon phase. So he is producing a little bit of insulin. So there's always kind of this looming wonder of when that's going to end. Uh, he's not bolusing or anything. So when that will happen, uh, there's probably going to be, need to be a lot more changes, uh, which I mean, we'll just figure out when it happens, but it's definitely something that's kind of looming there. Um, some frustrations. I mean, uh, I mean, it was interesting being with someone for about, for not too long, starting a relationship and then suddenly like a big bomb has dropped. <laughs> and uh, that's been, I mean, to be honest, it's been very, very good. And either I think it brings you closer or the opposite. And that's been good for us. But there are some little things like he is very aware of everything, but will forget to bring any kind of sugar or anything when we go on. We're pretty active as well. so going on a long bike ride or going on hikes or we surf a lot and he won't bring anything, which I guess I'm just expecting him to. And now realize that I should probably just make sure that we always have fruit and <laughs> candy bars and stuff. So, but in general, it's pretty, pretty manageable, but I think that's because he's still in the honeymoon phase. So. Yeah, I could say a positive trait of his is he's so proactive and learning um, when we started, he's part of the study we do, and he's asking questions, you know, like constantly. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, really it was very, it was like difficult at first to even, we had no idea. Uh, when we were in Nicaragua, we just started reaching out to all of our doctor friends or anyone who could tell us anything about diabetes. Uh, and I think a frustration for him is that the very, you know, getting down to like the granular specifics of how diabetes works. Um, seems like there's still a lot of unknowns. <laughs> yep. And just, for example, like how you got it, you know, or how, 
that evolved in his system or maybe it's been there for a long time or maybe not or you know things like that and I think that's probably a frustration more more for him than for me but obviously I shared a little bit. <laughs> Thanks Annie. Rodrigo? Hi everyone uh, my name is Federico my partner is Maria. Um, I live here in, in Vancouver. Uh, Maria was diagnosed when she was 10 years old and we have been together for uh, about six years. So she's been, she had diabetes like for a while before I met her. Uh, good quality that help us both. I think that I really enjoy taking care of people and it's something that I, I like and I have done in a lot of different, different situations so that caring trait is, is, I think is good for the both of us. And I, although I'm very active and I like doing a lot of things, I can also like slow down and, and I don't mind putting her like first if she's going through something. Um, and a big frustration is just like seeing her like suffering or something like that. I, I really don't like her like feeling bad, of course. And that's a big frustration. And, and another thing is that um, I mean, she's 30 now and we've been like, she's been, we've been together since, 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 since she is like 20 something and just seeing uh, that in a very paradoxical way, as we learn more, it becomes more complicated and not easier. It's more like, okay, your sugar levels are getting better. So now you feel worse if you have a low and, or things like that. So just like seeing that this is just going to change and is. Uh, we, we're always going to have like a new challenge and mm. that that's a bit frustrating and um and another frustration that is sometimes good and sometimes bad is that i do research in public health so i never like take a rest from this like i'm always like uh studying risk factors and diabetes is always there it doesn't matter what you're doing research on so every time that i'm reading an article is oh another thing that i learned about diabetes another thing i learned about <laughs> diabetes so it's uh that's I guess, good and bad. And yeah, like I, every, everything that everyone is saying is just like, it, it sounds like very close to home. Like I, I have all those different moods as well. <laughs> so it's looming, it's always looming over you at home. And then at work, it's looming over you too. So there really is never a break of not hearing about it and watching her if she's um, really struggling is hard for you. Okay. Um, anyone else? Did, who hasn't um, shared what that would like to? Okay. Uh, yes, Jeff. Oh, sorry, Jane. Um, I'm gonna start with Jeff and then I'll go to, was it Jane? I wasn't sure. Okay, so look, Jeff, why don't you go first? Did you hear me? Jeff? Mm -mm. Okay. Jane, did you want to go? Whoa. I lost you. Can you hear us? I did. Oh. We can hear you. You can hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, good, because I just lost everybody on the screen i'm not very technology wise though um my frustration is that oh first of all ashley was diagnosed in december um with type one 
and she lives in Coquitlam and I live in Ontario. Mm. So the distance is really hard. But the good thing is, is that she's really taken a hold of this and accepted it. And um, she's being real proactive and I'm really proud of her for that. But it's still frustrating being so far away. Hmm. That's all I got to say. Well, Jane, I can tell you that Ashley is amazing. You're right. She's proactive. Um, I know you were there when she had, um, she had taken a fast acting insulin instead of her long acting and she was really worried. Everyone jumped in to help her. So, um, you know, I think for having been diagnosed with diabetes really late in life or, you know, in, in her, is it 20s or 30s? Um, you know, she's been doing a really great job adjusting and trying to um, pick up all the techniques and skills she can to make sure she's healthy. And so if anything, as a mom, um, you should know that your daughter is so responsible and really taking care of herself. Thank you. That does make me feel better. And it's nice to know that she's got people out there that, that are helping her so much. Yeah, she has all of us at any yeah. time. Yeah. It's great. Um, Arena or Cardiff or Marilyn? Sure, I can share if. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one moment. Oh, apparently I can't uh, share my video, but that's okay. okay. So my name is Kartik. My partner is Sandra, and she. We've been together for a little over five years, and she was diagnosed a little less than four years ago, and it had happened during like a very late, fairly severe DKA episode. And it took quite a while for the doctors to figure out what was going on. And I mean, it was pretty stressful in that way, especially because, you know, it seemed like there was this unknown thing she had lost, I mean, quite a bit of weight and was, we weren't sure, you know, what was going on. Um, I think that one of the things that helps me cope is also one of the things that kind of made that difficult is that I like to know what's going on. Like I think just kind of having that information for some reason kind of makes me feel a little more calm about it and kind of a double-edged sword that way. So that made it difficult during when she was diagnosed. But right now it also makes it easier because I'm able to kind of help her sometimes when, because I know what to do or I can recognize the signs because in part, I mean, I've tried to make it a point of learning about it myself. And then also Sandra has done a lot to kind of help teach me about what to expect and what's happening. So um, I feel like the things that worry or bother me, like those are the, I mean, there's so many of them when you have a partner with type one. I think someone earlier had mentioned that people often conflate type one and type two. And I do get bothered by that. Um, I mean, I get bothered also by the driving thing of sometimes I have to drive. We live in Vancouver and I hate driving here. So it becomes harder when, I mean, I don't like driving. Not that necessarily she does either, but she may not be able to and I have to do it. But I think the hardest thing is the kind of despair that uh, I see sometimes in her. She kind of 
I mean, it, it was worth it, worse at the start, kind of coming to grips with the fact that she had it and that was hard to see. But one thing that comes up a lot is this idea that her lifespan will be affected by type one and hearing that and not really being able to either rebut her or even just to know that, I mean, it's, it's true. I think that's one of the most difficult things for me is knowing that it does have a kind of larger effect on her quality of life. And I mean, probably our quality of life together. Yeah. I mean, um, I, and I know Sandra's also in public health, like Frederico. So she, you know, she, she is, yeah. She shared her diagnosis story uh, last month. It was really heartbreaking because, she, you know, she had gone to so many doctors, so many specialists, and no one picked it up, which is ridiculous. Um, but the word despair is really, it's such a powerful word. And um, I just think it, um, it's great that she has you and that you are looking out for her um, because she's going to have some ups and downs. Um, you know, she really is smart as a whip, but, you know, that doesn't matter because, you know, emotions are emotions. There's nothing to do with how, you know, smart you are. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it is nice that she does have fairly good control over it as far as I can tell. And she is someone who's fairly uh, aware of it and takes good care of herself. But you're right, I mean, it's only been four years, so I don't know what that means for the long term like a lot of you guys have had I mean, fairly long run of it. So it kind of makes me wonder or worry what the future has in store. Right. Well, you have all these people to talk to now, now that um, we had the session. So we'll talk about later how you're going to keep in touch. Um, and I just see Arena and Marilyn, did, did either of you want to share? Um, Okay, so I don't hear anything. So what I'd like to do next is we asked you to fill out a survey um, and had questions all about different aspects of frustration and distress about, um, you know, uh, caring for someone and loving someone who has type one. And so I, the reason I, I wanted you to fill it out is because, again, this is kind of um, developed from scientists who, you know, work with you know, hundreds and hundreds of people with um, caregivers. And so I'm just going to show you the results. Let me see if I can share my screen. Oh, um, hmm. Monica, can you enable my screen? Or Naira? Monica? Or not? Uh, I can, you should I can try sharing my screen. Okay, yeah, perfect. All right, one second. Monica. Are you not able to share your screen? Um, yeah, I can't share my screen and it doesn't look like Naira can share her screen. Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Does everyone see the graph? All right, so basically what this graph shows is the four kind of major dimensions of caregiver distress. 
Um, and let me just uh, talk about what each um, you know, dimension is before we talk about the results. But management distress is essentially feeling frustrated that the more you help, um, the more your relationship is going to suffer or feeling that your loved one shuts you out sometimes and you're really, you know, trying to, um, I guess, help them with their management. Role distress is, you know, not really knowing how much um, you should be involved. Should you step in? Should you step out? Um, and not knowing how best to help. Emotional distress refers to, again, this is, you know, pretty obvious, but feeling overwhelmed. Um, by these constant demands of having diabetes, of, of you know, caring for someone who has diabetes. And so all the kind of burdens that go along with that. And hypoglycemia distress, which I heard from a lot of you, is you know, that um, fear and being scared that your loved one is going to go low um, in the middle of the night or at some other inopportune time, like driving a car. So um, there, you know, there are more, you know, aspects to distress than this, but these are the four major ones. And what I wanted to show you is the green bar show people who endorsed, um, you know, low to no distress. And the red bar show the people who endorsed that they're really um, struggling with this. This is a hard um, experience for them. So I, I think the take home message is about 30% across the board actually are really struggling. So that's a third. That's, you know, that's a big chunk of people. And so if you're feeling these ways um, that you're not alone, um, you're part of a pretty big crowd that are sharing the same um, frustrations. All right, so um, I'm going to, oh, you can stop sharing your screen. Okay, that being said, but does anyone have any comments about that? Because we're going to go into the questions. Okay, great. So I'm going to read the question and Lauren is going to answer and I'll pop in um, if there's other um, responses. But the first question is from Anonymous. I think my biggest concern has always been, how do I tell my spouse that I suspect they're low and that they're not being, oh, and they're being an asshole? I don't, I'm, I'm just saying that because it doesn't say that. How do other partners deal with that constant stress of having a spouse with a chronic illness? Okay. So I, I just want to, before answering all these questions, just want to honor that I'm kind of answering from two hats here. One being on the side of having type one and having been that person who's the, the a-hole and also maybe uh, how I think about how to respond to that. So first of all, I think, um, I think coming from a place of, I'm going to answer with my diabetes hat on first, coming from a place of just knowing that like 32 years um, I've been trying to manage this every single day and it's not getting any easier. And so I think the number one thing I, I need and sometimes respect from other people is just having that understanding kind of at the forefront of any response is just like, um, you've had it for a long time. And, and that word is really, I think important is the and word. I'm going to say that a lot tonight. It's just that, and it's really hard. And, um, and so I think the other kind of part of that question is just like, how do I tell my, my spouse or my child or my partner? I would say the only person that knows the answer to that question is them. Because I think so much of being a caretaker or a caregiver is also trying to just understand 
and try to find out what they're wanting and just the gift of them being able to um, put some words to that. So um, I wouldn't ask that while they're low. I wouldn't ask that while they're driving a car and they're potentially low, <laughs> you know, like, um, but trying to find that time when, when you can kind of own your own experience of it. Cause I think that's, you all have your, we all have a lot of, or I'm hearing a lot of kind of shared experiences of feeling frustrated, feeling scared, feeling worried. And I, and I wonder what the response might be when they hear um, not you're doing something, you know, you're, you're driving, I'm using the driving one just because I, I've also driven once when I was low and I think I'm just feeling bad about it. Um, I had my kids in the car. Um, and so that's on my mind. So just kind of being able to say this is own your own experience of it. Uh, and using I statements to do that. So my experience of when this happens is this, this is how it impacts me. And so I want to be able to talk to you about how we can, um, how we can not, how we can work through this together and not make you feel like you're doing something wrong. Cause I totally get how hard this is. Um, and how much is on your plate and that maybe there isn't an answer. And, kind of giving them that permission to know that maybe now is not the time to talk about it. Maybe there is no easy answer, but one to see them and see how hard it is. I think that would be really helpful. So maybe start with that. I get like, and that's kind of this validation piece where it's like, no wonder you don't want to stop driving when you're low because you need to get somewhere and uh, you don't want to stop and you're going to be late. And, and you know, those things, sometimes just saying those things where you really see it from their perspective, even if you don't agree with it, I think is a pretty powerful way to connect. Um, Cause connection is kind of something you'll hear me talk about tonight, even the way we're all connecting uh, and you're all connecting as caregivers. Um, I think connection is kind of the foundation for anything um, practical and kind of those practical conversations that really do make up all of diabetes. I, I, as a diabetic, I get so frustrated that everything seems so practical all the time. And so um, trying to do something where you're seeing them, understanding them, trying to take their perspective on it before going into that practical piece, I think that would be a good kind of first step. So my question is, has anyone been successful with this? Have you ever um, told your partner that they're low when they're low and irritable and like, and it actually went okay? I don't know, cause I really do want to um, hear. Okay, yeah, so uh, Chris, did you, did you want to answer? Oh, you need to unmute. I, I don't think it really applies to me, my, my little one. It's more I see it, and then we check, and she's low. I, I can't identify as a caregiver of someone who has um, an adult who, or a loved one um, that's with them. I can't really apply to that, but I, I've seen it, and she's recognized that. So, sorry, I gotta give me a minute. 
no worries. So, um, you know, uh, I'd like to just say, as Lauren had said, you don't want to have this discussion when um, the person's having a low or when emotions are high. You want to pick a time when, hey, it's Sunday, it's brunch, let's go to brunch. And then you have this conversation and say, hey, you know what, um, this happened, and when you go low, this is what happens. Let's come up with a game plan. And the game plan is whenever you're low and you're acting, you know, it sounds, seems like you're acting irritable, I'm going to use the word and have your, have your code word. So like my husband had this thing where there was a time when my husband had done something that really hurt my feelings and he, he knew and he, and he, I was avoiding these situations because I felt like I was, you know, he was going to hurt my feelings again. So our code word was frosty. So if I said the word frosty, he knew immediately, okay, this is it. So I think, um, again, finding a time when, you know, everyone's great, everyone's feeling there's, there's no connection with having a low. And then in that time, coming together to establish a game plan and then having the game plan of when this happens, this happens. So everyone's on the same page. Um, all right. Playful. Playful. Sounds like that. <laughs> Keep it light. Exactly. Um, any comments? Because I can go on to the next question. All right, so the next question is from Anonymous. I noticed that at times diabetes can cause mood changes, anxiety, and depression. How can we help with that? Uh, I would say just that, yes. Like, I think uh, anxiety, depression, mood changes, that is just part of the package with type 1. Um, and so, and, and coming from, like, as a counselor who kind of has this, you know, emotion focused lens. That's how I kind of approach um, any person, any kind of situation is just the power of helping someone understand what emotion might be involved in any given kind of moment. So I think um, we talked about this uh, with, uh, with the with everyone kind of in June and, and throughout the summer, but that whole idea of being able to name it to tame it, that sometimes, sometimes as a type one, I don't, um, or we don't tend to kind of know um, what, what I'm experiencing emotion wise at any given moment. And that I really appreciate when someone is brave enough to just kind of highlight it for me and to say, wow, it looks like, um, looks like you're really sad right now. It must be really frustrating to have had low blood sugars or roller coaster blood sugars all day long, period. Um, and not kind of going into the, the kind of fix it mode or the wanting to help it mode, but really just to honor what they are possibly, and you're allowed to guess because you might not always be right, but just to honor what they might be feeling at any given moment. Um, because I feel like that, that is really a, an opportunity for connection that makes all the other kind of practical conversations that might come next uh, be more receptible and be more, they might be more open to it because you're seeing what they're experiencing and feeling in the moment, which when you're feeling anxious and you're feeling depressed, um, that's, those are hard things to be feeling. And so when someone else, and especially the people here, the people that they care about, see that, uh, that's pretty powerful. 
So yeah, I'd like to say, you know, the name entertainment, I think that's such a great expression. Um, part of, um, you know, we, part of what we need to understand is what does a bad mood, what does that look like for you? So um, for some people, it might be totally withdrawing and isolating. For others, it might be um, stomp. So mine is stomping around. My husband always says, I know when you're in a bad mood because you stomp around. So first is being aware of what are you, what is your loved one like? Like, what is their bad mood? And they have to know, okay? Like, they have to admit, yep, that's exactly what I do when I'm depressed or when I'm sad. Um, and then having a strategy in your pocket. And, and so again, the strategy thing is you have to talk about it when everyone's good and no one's bad. And so, um, you know, the strategy might be, um, I don't know if you guys have kids. I don't have kids, but I, for some reason I love this. There's some, a cartoon called Daniel the Tiger and he sings this song, when you're angry, count to four, one, two, three, four. So, um, and so that is what I mean by like a strategy. You, some people really do like um, meditation and kind of um, trying to do um, breathing in and breathing out. And so you gotta, um, you gotta figure out or they have to figure out what is something that you know that when you see these behaviors that you can start instituting quickly um, but again, these are all things you need to decide when, when everything is um, not emotionally charged. It has to be when, you know, we're all normal, we're all thinking quickly. So again, you got to figure out what that, what does bad mood look like? Because it's going to look like different for your loved one it's gonna look, than it is for you. And then what does, um, what's your back, what's your in the pocket strategy to, you know, kind of tame your, tame yourself. Okay. Um, next question. Uh, oh, this is a part two of this question. I have also talked to my son about having the pump, um, but I feel he worries about the cost and perhaps also trying something new. Mm -hmm. uh, in my, when I read that question, I just thought the same, like my, my response to a lot of questions you'll kind of pick up is that kind of that validating first comment that, you know, no wonder you're nervous about the pump because and then because it does cost a lot of money and because you might be worried about what other people might be thinking. Like, I think that kind of, sometimes we might know that they might be feeling it, but be able to say it and reflect it back, it helps um, in a, like, yeah, emotion wise, we call it like dropping the emotional elevator. It gets them down to the ground floor. So then you can have more of those conversations about, about it, which is what, this person is kind of saying, I've tried to talk, um, ask my son about it. Um, because those, those worries, those fears about things, they act as blocks to us being able to consider and think about next steps. And so I don't think, I think there's just a lot of value in the time spent on sitting with people in those uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable moments, those fears, those concerns, and really that, that, that is kind of what I'm hearing from all of you is this empathetic response where you're willing to sit with them in the hard stuff and the value that that brings for all those kind of next steps that you're, you're, we kind of sit here hoping that they might consider. Um, and sometimes people are more willing to consider and think about those next steps when they have someone sitting with them in the hard part of it. Okay. Uh, my follow-up would be, you know, sometimes your loved one is the person who listens to you the least, right? 
And so the reason I uh, formed this group, the huddle, is because what I realized is people don't come to talk to me. I mean, sure, I have, you know, some expertise in this, but they come to talk to other people. So um, Jane, when Ashley had taken um, her high uh, fast acting insulin by mistake, what calmed her down is when four other people jumped in and said, oh yeah, you know what, I've had diabetes for 50 years, happened to me. So it made her feel like, okay, because she felt stupid. I think she felt really silly to have made such a huge error and people jumping in just saying, yeah, that happened to me two years ago, this happened to me. So the people who help the most are the people who are your peers. Um, I don't know how old your son is, but um, I would say if you could uh, have another peer group, other peers his age, just talking about whether they're on the pump, whether they're not on the pump. If they're not on the pump, why did they go on? You know, why did they decide not to? So having that conversation with other people who are exactly the same as you is the most powerful uh, strategy. Okay. Um, all right, next question. Is insulin resistance a given? for aging T1Ds? Is insulin resistance inevitable as T1Ds age? So um, I'm, gonna say, I'm gonna say something and I think um, Jerry, who was our nurse, might pop in too, but um, yeah, absolutely. Um, diabetes is a progressive disease. No matter how well you are with your medication, your exercise, your food, it's progressive. You can't stop it. So for example, when you can't stop, as you age, you can't stop your hair from going white. Sure, you can cover it up and whatever, but it, it's going to go white, right? So like no one has ever figured out how to stop that. Same thing with diabetes. It's just, it's things happen with age. So your insulin resistance is going to increase. Jerry, did you want to pop in and say anything? Just like when your hair goes white, um, everyone can see that most of mine is white. You don't know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen the same as everyone else's did. So there are some things you can do to help. Exercise is one of them. You can be very active and still have resistance. It is the progression of the disease, of the condition. And the, you know, probably the most effective way to deal with increased insulin um, resistance is you're gonna increase your insulin dose. So um, people always say, well, this is for type two, when people get upset that they have to go from um, oral agents to insulin. And what I say is, um, it's not that your diabetes got worse, your treatment got better. So again, you, like that's just something you need to acknowledge. You're just gonna have more um, insulin as you grow older, period. And everyone is, not just you. Um, all right, so. When I started nursing, we rated folks' condition by how much medication they took. And we were wrong. So a lot of the things that we saw with the complications were we, because we weren't properly treated. So it doesn't really matter about the dose. It matters about the blood sugars. Don't worry about the dose. All right, next question from Anonymous. How to deal with mood swings and angry outbursts from your spouse? Lauren? Okay, I'm gonna answer this a little bit differently and maybe randomly, but it's, that's what's uh, coming to mind. So I think the question is about the spouse, but I feel like it's hard to talk about other people when we're the ones that are in the room. So when you point a finger at someone, there's three pointing back and that, and I feel like when someone else is having a response, really the only thing that we can control and do is kind of our own reaction to it or one of the things. And so the first thing that comes to mind given what we've been talking about tonight is just 
the power of noticing how many people are in the same page right now and kind of all shaking heads at each other's comments and just the power of when um when your spouse is having a mood swing or angry to just take a brief second and just uh just to kind of kindly gently say to yourself this happens a lot and this is really hard and i'm doing the best that i can because um, I think that like that compassion for what you what you do every day for your loved one, it's a lot. And so, you know, we might be more reactive to things because they're, you know, mood swings or outbursts happen a lot. And so one, I think um, the compassion around knowing that you're not, that it happens to other people um, and kind of being kind to yourself for even being upset about it, that that's okay. It, um, I think that might be the first thing that might help. Um, and the second thing I would say is, um, yeah, just to really, for a split second, kind of just understand that maybe it is blood sugar. I know um, when my blood sugar gets low, I, I am not the kindest person and and then I feel a lot of shame about that afterwards too. And so to kind of share just how, um, how hard that is. And again, um, the power of having someone respond in a way that, you know, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like that kind of mood swing, but I like you, um, you know, uh, being able to word your discussion or conversation about it um, in a way that really, um, kind of separates the behavior from them, which I think uh, that's what happens when you um, use things like I statements and start your sentences like this is my experience of it um, because it doesn't it doesn't kind of fuel that um, sense for the other person that they're doing something wrong or that they have some control over it. Great. Um, so I would say the same answer I had for before, create a, a game plan. So my game plan with my husband is when he sees me stomp, he leaves the room. I don't, um, I don't get, you know, my feelings aren't hurt because we had agreed that when I'm, when I'm like really just irritable, you know, he is going to do this. So when it happens, like I'm not mad, like we had agreed on this. So again, if you can, you know, create, if you can talk about it ahead of time and when it happens, then everything is, is like, you know, working exactly how everyone agreed on. There's no emo, there's no extra emotion. It's not, you know, extra emotionally charged. Okay. Um, what is, oh, sorry. Um, my husband gets a lot of lows. He reaches for candy and cakes. Um, should he not be using glucose tablets instead? I think this is Janice. Jan Janice, if you're here. Um, I was gonna say that if you're, if the candies are lifesavers or like um, Jolly Ranchers, that's actually fine. You know, anything that breaks down quickly is what you need. Um, but if he's eating cakes and cookies, of course that's not the best way to treat a low um, because there's fat and fat breaks down so slowly and he needs an instant sugar rush. Um, Jerry, did you wanna answer this at all? Oops. That's exactly right. Uh, you need a sugar rush, wait 15 minutes, and if you're more than an hour to the next meal, he should have a protein and maybe another 15 grams of carbs, cracker or two. But cakes and cookies are good, but usually they're too much. Um, 
sugar and the fat will stop it from going in fast enough. So too much and too little. Yeah, so feel free to encourage him to have as many life, you know, do the Lifesavers, Jolly Ranchers, Werther's candies, though Werther's might have to be a little bit bad, but um, that's okay. So we want to be able to like uh, praise him for doing the right thing and just say, yeah, that, that's not the best thing. Um, the cake and the cookies are not going to do what you need to do. Um, Lauren, did you want to, anything on that point? Uh, no, other than sometimes when I'm low, I, I don't even think about what I know is supposed to be right. Like, it's like this life-saving, like, what am I going to actually do? That's that's... Gonna, like, there's so much fear sometimes involved with being low that sometimes, just to share with all of you that the, uh, the practical things that we've learned um, don't kind of come into play right in those moments. Um, but that's something that um, sometimes the people in the house can help us kind of what's available so that when you do have that mad rush that almost feels primitive, um, you know what's, you have some good choices. That's why, sorry I'm to interrupt, but that's exactly what he says is that he doesn't have a clue what's happening. He knows that he looks at his blood sugar, he knows it's low, but he doesn't know what he's grabbing. He does juice first, but then you know, the alarms are going off, the alarms and bells. And so then he, you know, I don't know, I just noticed, you know, that his blood sugars have been going really low at night, like after dinner. And so then he always grabs for like danishes or cookies or not really cookies, but more like the cakes and stuff. So uh, but he, and he does this purposely before he goes to bed, so that he makes sure that his blood sugar is high enough, so that you know there's even that factor in it. So I just don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so well, and some of the some of the tight ones that I've worked with, where they don't even recognize that that fear is there going to bed, and and they have actually had some kind of when someone else points it out and says like, no wonder you're scared going to bed. It must be so scary to think about getting low in the middle of the night. Yeah. When those emotions are something that come um, and they're something out in the open, then sometimes we consciously think about them a little bit more, but when they're not really talked about and kind of hidden, then the, sometimes the behaviors don't make sense. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay, next question. Does diabetes affect your cognitive function? My wife will sit down for dinner and forget to take her insulin often. So one, I want to say there, there's actually a lot of reasons why, you know, your wife may have um, forgotten to take her insulin. But um, yes, you know, diabetes absolutely affects your cognitive function. Who, um, you know, like when your spouse or loved one has a low, they can't think straight. When I have a low blood sugar, I, I can't think straight. So there, that's an obvious one where everyone, when you're, when you're not balanced, your body's not balanced, your, your brain can't think. Um, but you know, there are other things like concentration, attention, irritability, executive functioning. Executive functioning is just multitasking. So all of, we know from literature that, yeah, diabetes um, and probably, you know, if you're not well controlled is going to have a bigger impact on your cognitive functioning. Um, but that's something, again, if you're well controlled, that's something that you can, um, you can prevent from happening. Um, Jerry, did you want to weigh in on this? A lot of new 
research into just that, into the long-term cognitive effects. And in some cases, it has some devastating effects where it will be a long-term thing. But um, Dr. Tang is absolutely right. The Even a mild lower than average blood sugar, or even though the blood sugar isn't showing as quote unquote low, if you come down quickly, it will rattle your brain. You won't be able to think in the same way. Um, and as for always forgetting the one sort of thing, it could be that she is worried about it or upset about it, so tends to omit it. So that's where we have cognitive strategies. So like one strategy would be you have a little post-it note and you stick it on your dining room table plate. So every time she goes to eat, you guys go out to eat or go to eat at your dining table, there's a little post-it note that says, did you forget to take your insulin? So again, when that's happening, you just need to figure out what um, compensatory strategies. Um, okay, what's the best way to express concern but also be supportive, Lauren? Okay, well, also answering the last question, I think dinner times with our like two kids and just everyone. My husband has an alarm that goes off on his phone every night at 5.30. So I feel like that is kind of like a cognitive strategy where the alarm goes off. And it's like, Lauren, did you take your insulin before we start or think about dinner? It's like very helpful. Um, the question around, um, where are we? Um, best way to express concern, right? And be supportive? Yes. I think, I think it's kind of, um, we've said it like a few times today, I think the idea of being supportive by finding out what, by asking them kind of what that support, like what the ideal support would be and kind of, and, and then creating a, like, as Trisha said, a game plan around that. I think sometimes the word, but is one way that kind of gets in the way of sharing our concerns and moving forward. So I get that this is really hard for you, but, and then you kind of go into kind of sharing your side of it. And sometimes when we say the word, but everything before that is erased. And so shifting to try to incorporate the word and, I know you all get what that sound is, but I'm gonna just turn this off cause it's gonna beep for the next 10 minutes. and. All right. Um, so using the word and like to um, see, and then these things throw you off. Uh, things like I, I can understand how, um, you know, not taking, uh, forgetting your insulin or something is, um, or getting low all the time is really bugging me. And I, I'm, I'm also having an experience with that. And I'm also, so trying to shift away from the word but and trying to use and. Um, and again, it, whenever you're expressing your concern, I think it's just owning your own experience, trying to take the blame off of their behavior. So, which, which I think I'm saying that and I'm, I'm, I think I'm speaking to that a lot tonight because I think as a, as a type one, I often feel bad for what I'm doing, what I'm not doing well enough. And so I think you're, it's a hard, I can, I can appreciate for all of you how hard it would be 
to talk to someone like me and express how you're feeling about it. Um, and so getting that and sort of wanting your voices to be heard, I think it would land easier and I would not get, and hopefully your partner spouse child would not get as defensive if you kind of, yeah, own what you're experiencing and just use I statements and let them know how it's impacting you. Because it's hard to get, it's hard to get defensive when it, you're owning it and it's what you're experiencing rather than trying to say something that they're doing. Thanks, Lauren. Um, so I recognize it's 727 and so we have about three minutes left. And so for those of you who need to leave, um, you know, we're not going to, you're not going to hurt our feelings, but those of you who want to stay a bit, that we had two more questions and I want to make sure I get them answered since someone took the time to submit them. Um, the next one is how do you, this one's um, a little bit more complicated. How do you communicate to them um, how stressful and scary it is when they have a very low blood sugar and have to call the ambulance or they have a seizure. A couple of times last autumn, the ambulance operator called the police as my spouse was acting in a loud, un uncooperative manner. I had severe anxiety and insomnia due to the stress related and decided to, um, to go on anti-anxiety medications to cope. Um, I, to that kind of, trying to answer that sort of that big question. Um, I think looking for ways and finding ways to, to really take care of yourself. Um, I think kind of putting your own oxygen mask on first. Um, you know, you're, um, the other half has this group. Um, they, you know, we've been talking a lot about kind of getting supports to deal with the emotional side of diabetes. And so just encouraging um, one, just really kind of understanding and kind of, I want to validate this person uh, that no wonder, you know, you're feeling a lot of anxiety because that's a really big event to have gone through. Um, and that must be scary. And I feel that kind of looking for ways um, outside this group um, to kind of find ways to sit with someone and process those types of things. Um, and find coping tools for anxiety is something that might be, yeah, that might be helpful for you to be able to show up and also have that caregiving role. Uh, Jerry, did you wanna, did you have any comments about this? I actually just put on, I love the idea of putting on your own oxygen mask first. Take a second, take a breath, take care of yourself because you will not be strong enough to go through with, with it. And recognizing that these are very stressful situations of having to phone the ambulance, probably explain, um, and talk about it. Talk about one of the things that sometimes helps is to have a game plan of what to do. Open the front door, um, who to call if and when this happens. Yeah, no, so I wanted to tell a story of um, one of the patients I worked with. She was a single mom and had a daughter who was about four years old, three or four, and they had a game plan. And she said, when mommy is lying down and it looks like she can't move, you need to go next door to um, 
Mrs. Blot Jones's house, you have to knock on the door and then ask Mrs. Jones to call the um, police or the ambulance. And so lo and behold, she, she just said that because she wanted to make sure it was, you know, it, there was something set in place and didn't think that it would happen, but it happened. She went low. She couldn't even talk and her daughter saw her and then just walked to the next door and just knocked on the door and the ambulance came. So again, the game plans are so important because you don't freak out. You're just like, oh, here's the situation you were talking about. Now I do this. So again, the whole kind of game plan, having a playbook, all that, all that thinking ahead of time is always um, helps reduce the anxiety. Okay, Which so I think, sorry, one last thing. And maybe the game plan too around your own, like this is not something that's going to be going away. And it's like this, this caregiving aspect and the, um, how vital you are to this whole picture is something that, yeah, also having kind of a game plan for you in terms of your own well-being and being able to kind of show up. One of the things they're teaching now in CPR training is the idea of taking 10 seconds to center, 10 seconds to step back and to visualize what you're going to do because apparently the outcomes are much better. So if you spend a few minutes game planning, what am I going to do if I see my person seizuring, taking a breath and having centered myself and remembering my plan and then instituting it will make a better outcome. Okay, so the last question, I think we answered, how can I best support my spouse? So um, again, those of you who need to leave totally understand. Um, those of you who have questions you wanted to ask in real time, just um, feel free to just raise your hand. And yep, uh, Annie. Or, yep, Annie, go ahead. Yeah. Um, my question kind of relates back to, I believe, your first question, actually. Or I think it was brought up a couple times about kind of putting, saying things, like supporting your partner in... Uh, kind of their anxiety and their difficulty with dealing with now having diabetes and I've read a lot that kind of says things that using statements like I know how you must be feeling is not helpful because to be honest I don't know exactly how he's feeling I don't have diabetes I can think that I know how you know like sort of situation but that using that kind of language almost is actually kind of um, not offensive, but not helpful in having them feel like you get it. It feels kind of more like they're like, you're saying just like, like, yeah, I know it must suck. And he's like, yeah, you don't know how it must suck kind of thing like that. Is there anything more you could speak to a little bit of how to, how to go around that sort of? Um, the, and, and I guess, and I have been using the, the emotion focused kind of family therapy line tonight on purpose to kind of show the, I can imagine you might feel, and it, it's, it's very tentative and it's very guessing on, I can imagine you feel, no wonder you feel, and that's like kind of the first fill in the blank. And then that specific kind of script uses three becauses. And so sometimes that feels a lot, but no wonder you feel this because, and the idea of using more than one is that they feel more seen and heard and they kind of, anyone kind of comes down the more becauses are in there. So 
um, that's one where it, it kind of it's slight, but it does uh, it does land differently than I get it. It's more like I think I I can understand why you might because. Can you give an example of that by any chance in like a a, a what you mean like because? Yep. Um, like, I, I can imagine you feel really frustrated right now because your blood sugars have been up all down all day and that there's no, you don't have any control over it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I would say is in motivational interviewing, there the concept of reflections. So it has nothing to do with you. You're just saying, you know, your partner looks like they're angry. So it's just, oh, you look like you're really upset. And the, the only thing about that is reflecting what you see and then it it allows them to say, yeah, I'm really upset, blah, 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 blah. So that, you know, again, you're really just, not I'm noticing you, here's, here's what you look like. So it has nothing to do with me, but maybe if they talk about it, um, it'll, you know, it'll um, reduce that level of kind of frustration. So that's what I, I mean, that's another strategy. Anyone else? I just wanted to comment about the chocolate bars versus the lifesavers. Oh yeah, yes. You know, I used to get very frustrated with Dave when he'd go for the candy, like the chocolate instead of the whatever. Uh -huh. um, but having been at this for 20 plus years, recognizing that he's not allowed to have chocolate in his regular everyday life. So when he does go low, he kind of takes that as an opportunity to. So if he does it every once in a while, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff because he's human too. He, you know, we've taken this, you know, a whole area of food that he's not allowed to have and so if every once in a while when he does go low he reaches for the chocolate bar i'm not going to freak out too too much i know long term it's not great but if it's just once or it's just you know it's just that one time i, I just want to let you all know that it's i don't think it's the end of the world if he does it once or twice but we can all obviously encourage saying you know it's probably a better choice if you do this but hey you know what i understand have that oh henry i totally i totally get it so I just wanted to say, because I know as caregivers, we're always trying to be like super on it. That's all. Jerry? With, uh, with the lows, frequently they have no idea. I, I think it was Jane who said it was as if he wasn't there, or he couldn't remember, he didn't know. And frequently they will be walking and talking and not be aware. If all they'll eat is chocolate bars, you give them chocolate bars. Is you take a deep breath and hand them something that they will reliably eat. If you can get lifesavers or jelly beans or something, a juice, and that's their reliable eating, that's the fastest. But if it's chocolate bars that goes in and you know that they're going to eat it without a big discussion, that's what they get. We use what works. Um, Oh, okay. Sorry. Can I just ask, um, with Roy, we actually have an opposite problem of he thinks he's like incredibly healthy and he doesn't want to eat chocolate or sugar or anything. He wants to eat, eat like fruit. Is that like a... And, and because I sometimes want to like shove Jolly Ranchers down his throat. <laughs> he doesn't want to take it because he's so... You got not being bad. Grapes are little packets of sugar. Try the grapes. Yep. Yeah, no fruit or sugar. Fruit is exact. That 
fruit is basically honey. a pleasure. Sometimes I feel better when I'm having honey or I go through these kicks where I'm like, I'm not having any more juice boxes. I hate all these juice boxes. So honey sometimes feels healthier to me and maple syrup. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this is pure. <laughs> all right. Um, Jason Miller's spouse, I, I, can you remind me your name? Uh oh, you're on mute. There we go. Jane. Jane, you gay? Yes. Uh huh, Jane? Yes, I just wanted to mention a communication tool that I find really effective works when we're having like a communication struggle, either low blood sugar or not a low blood sugar. I used to get really angry and frustrated was that he would get defensive and you don't really have a productive conversation. So I tried just more out of um, maybe desperation and honesty, just the vulnerability factor for myself about situations and how it makes me feel. Um, and coming from that perspective, having a discussion with him, either having a low blood sugar is much more successful getting across to him when I when I'm vulnerable as opposed to like angry or frustrated. And that feels more honest for me. And I have much more success in a fruitful, productive conversation, either if he's having a low or, or just a regular conversation. So I just wanted to share that, that that's been really a positive change and successful for, for me and us. I think that, that go ahead, go ahead. You're, you're just making me think of how like that's kind of like a, a good match because I, I think when you're low, you feel just vulnerable. And so to have someone come in with that, I can see how that's worked for you and how that's a good pairing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I've, I've given this advice before. I don't know if it's in the context of, um, you know, uh, being a clinician, but instead of getting angry, when you start crying, I mean, you know what I mean? When you start crying, no one's going to yell at you because you're crying, right? They're going to be like, oh my God, what happened? You know, so exactly. it's, immediately they need to take care of you. So sometimes it's better to just be like, oh my God, I'm so scared, you know? And then exactly. yeah. they want to do anything that's going to make you feel like, okay, I feel safe. So I, it's not like a trick, but it kind of, it, it just works better, right? I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm with that. Any other questions? Uh-huh. Um, Cecilia? Um, mine's not so much a question, but it's something I did prior to meeting Dave um, because I'd had conflict in my life and I realized I'd grown up and had a repetitive pattern family life and first marriage. But I went to the Justice Institute in New Westminster um, and I did most of the conflict resolution course, pretty much all of it. Um, so if anybody has interest or time and I don't know what they've got online now it's an invaluable tool in life it certainly wasn't the way I was raised and I didn't get it through schooling moving from positions to interest dealing with anger negotiations paraphrasing and it's lots and lots of role playing because it was you know you go and I just do I was a single mum with two kids I just do a subject when I could do it and it's an amazing place. You're surrounded by all these different people, policemen, ambulance attendants, nurses, born again lawyers who don't want to, you know, litigate. And it's just a really fantastic place because it's right there and it's central to us and it's an amazing building. And so if 
you want to be a learner, it'll help you if you're a mum with kids, it'll help you in anything. It's so that's just my, my comment. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, one of the things I wanted to tell everyone is that, you know, um, this has been really a great session, um, just hearing everyone, but I know that, um, you know, just having one session is not really, um, while you feel good now um, and you feel supported, you want that feeling to be sustained. And so uh, my, my research team will make a um, WhatsApp group called T1D Lovers, because <laughs> you love T1Ds. Um, and uh, if, if you want to be part of the group, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll ask you and you can give us your um, phone number and, and you can be part of this group. Again, what we found with our other group of um, adults with type one, they're just texting all the time back and forth. Some of it is practical information, like, well, how do you apply for the disability tax? But some of it really is um, a, just pure emotion. Uh, someone had a DKA and was in ICU and everyone was like checking on her. So, um, you know, we're happy to do that. I think uh, peers, uh, peer support is the most valuable. So, um, and Cecilia, that's, that's the perfect context in which you can write um, and, and put up, post this information because I think it's very, very important. Okay, so um, I think we're gonna have to wind down, um, but again, I'm gonna, we'll go ahead and contact you if you're interested in being part of the WhatsApp group um, and you can let us know and we'll go ahead and start that um, probably as soon as tomorrow. Oh. All right. I think on behalf of everybody, I'd like to thank you, Tricia, and everybody else who contributed. I've had a lovely time meeting you all, and hopefully we'll be in touch. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank Bye. you.